Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We Are One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. Can you read it with me? I'm going to put it on the screen. Can you read it with me? We're going to read it every week, by the way. We're just going to like, we're going to get it in us deep. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was like, hey, disciples, you want to know how to pray? Could I give you a template? Could I give you a breakdown? Could I help you? Here we go. Verse 9. Read it with me on the screen. In this manner, therefore pray out loud. Here we go. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Come on, say it with power now, ready? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Somebody say amen. 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 Jesus, we thank you for your presence and we thank you for what you want to do tonight. Thank you that we get to worship in freedom. Thank you that your word right now can go out in freedom. I pray that impact, it would touch, it would change, it would transform hearts that we might be more like you and that, God, you would even use us in the coming days to declare the message of hope, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus. Lord, this month is powerful with one night and so many things coming up to declare the message of Jesus. I pray for transformation to be taking place not only in this room, not only at one night, but I pray for it in our school districts, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our county, and all the cities beyond. Begin to see a move of God that we ask that it begin to happen, not because you did it, but we moved your heart to the point we stepped out to be used that it just couldn't help happen because God you wanted to use us as well we thank you for it and all that you're going to do tonight in Jesus name everybody says amen amen hey before you're seated turn to like uh three people and tell them I am so pumped for this single choose to live to drop in two days tell somebody how excited you are Thank you. People are, are telling me from the audience they're pumped. I'm, I'm pumped too. I'm pumped. You ever had this question? You ever wondered, why do I need to pray if God already knows everything anyways? Have you ever thought that before? Like he already knows it, why do I need to tell him it? If he already knows everything, he already knows my problem, he already knows what I need, why doesn't he just come down, fix my problem, give me what I need? Why do I need to pray about something he already knows? And I want to I preface this up top for some of you that maybe don't have this, it's called theology. This understanding of what the Bible says according to this idea that I just said, that God knows everything. If you don't understand it, it's called that he is um, omniscient, I think is the way that you pronounce it. Omnipotent? Om- omniscient? I better look at my notes. So I don't say it. There's a lot of oms with God. What is it? It is omniscient. I said it right the first time. Thank you. Okay. Thank you myself. He's omniscient. Okay, so there's like the Latin roots for these break down very simply, he's a know-it-all. It's pretty much that simple. He has knowledge about everything. That's what it means. And if you're wondering if that's true, can I just take you on a journey? I'm going to do it like punch, 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 punch. I'm not going to explain them. 
But can I just show you a bunch of scriptures to show you how much God knows? And if, if you're not understanding that he's omniscient, let me help you really quick here. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, he said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Matthew 10, 30, Jesus said, And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Now, this is crazy. Can we talk about this for just one second here? We lose 50 to 100 hairs a day. That means he knows how many hairs you started with, and he's doing the math every day when 37 drops one day and then 102 drops the next day and 58 drop the next day. He is keeping track. This is crazy, the knowledge that God has. He's keeping track of how many hairs are on people's head. Now, for some people, this is easier than others because they don't have a lot of hair left. For other people, they got like a lot of hair. I don't know if this is, it said hairs on the head, so I don't know if this is beard hairs as well and armpit hairs. I don't know if like God keeps track of all of it or if it's just the head, but that's a lot of hair to be keeping track of with some of you. I've seen it. It's like you got some thick hair. Now me, I hairspray this down. This is day three without doing my hair. I woke up like this, by the way. I ain't trying to brag. I'm just telling you, this is what it looks like. I put this product in. It's called Pete and Pedro. If you want to check it out, Pete and Pedro, there you go. Uh, sponsor me. And, uh, and then I trust some A. I spray it all in, and this is what it looks like. Each day, I just spray it all in. So when I shower after three days, all the hair that was falling out that I hairsprayed to keep in, it comes, it comes out like a flood. I mean, it's like, I would think I'm going bald every day, and I finally was like researching this because I'm like, oh no, I'm going like super bald. No, it's because it was three days worth of losing hair that we all naturally do all at once. I'm like holding it in my hair, and I'm like, oh my gosh, 34 years old, it's the year. I'm going bald this year, you know? But God's keeping track of that. Isn't it nuts? God kept track of even for me personally. This is crazy. This is crazy that on day one and day two, I don't lose any hair, but on day three, I lose all the hair at the same time. And he's even keeping track of it specifically for me and Thomas, because Thomas, I don't think Thomas even showers. He like, like just sprays it every day and same thing, okay? Psalm 103, verse 14, for he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we're just dust. He remembers that all that we are is dust. That's why he gives us a little bit of grace, because he just knows that we're dust. Psalm 139, verses one to four. David said, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You know when I'm up, when I'm down. You are familiar with all my ways. This is, this is sketchy right here. Before a word is out of my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. He knows what's inside of your head and the things you choose not to let out, and then he's keeping track of it from your brain as it's about to come out. It's right here on your tongue, and he knows it before you even say it. It's a pretty crazy thought when you break it down. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. But what does he know? He knows everything, John said. Job 23, verse 10. He knows the way that I take. He knows when you park your car in a parking lot with that guy, that girl that you ain't supposed to be parked doing what you're doing. He knows when you're going where you're not supposed to be going. He knows when you're breaking curfew and your parents don't know. He knows when you sneak out. He, he knows the way that you take. And then I'll end with a Debbie Downer right here. Why is this important that he knows all of this? Because Ecclesiastes 12 verse 14 says, for God will bring every deed, everything he knows, he'll bring it into judgment including, can I help you, every hidden thing. Everything you think nobody else knows about, because the Bible says beware, your sins will find you out. Everything you think my mama and dad don't know, my friends don't even know, I wasn't even accountable about this, Pastor Dave don't even know. I do know, by the way, God tells me everything about you. He will bring it into account, whether it's good or evil, he knows about it all. 
He knows everything. That's some scary stuff right there. I mean, I, could li- I feel like I could give an altar call and people just want to repent and come to Jesus right now. It's crazy. He knows everything. So the question, can I state it again? So why should we pray? Like, if he knows, like why should we speak something to him if he already knows it? What's the point? If, he, if he's omniscient, he already knows all of this, and he's all-knowing, and he has all knowledge and all this stuff, what is the point of doing it? What's the point? We were driving in our car the other day. It was probably, uh, by the other day, I mean like months ago. You ever say that? You're like, yeah, the other day, <laughs> three years ago. Uh, <laughs> driving in our car the other day, and, uh, and I, think, I think it was, yeah, my whole family, all four of us were in there. I, don't, I can't remember where we're coming back from. Long trip. Long trips with them, unless they're asleep, are the worst because, like, especially when we have, like, a, young, like a younger baby. I think as I was a little bit younger at this time, he was even still nursing. And, uh, man, months ago, this might have been a year ago. Don't track me on when this happened. I'm, I'm now, like, sitting here like, I don't remember exactly. I had children. My wife was there. I was there. That's all you need to know. And uh, it was, like, a long drive. Finally, we were coming up to Lapeer, and we were all, like, starving, hungry. Zaza was hungry. He needed, needed to nurse and all that. So we stopped. Well, that's the hardest thing because once you stop – Getting going again is the hardest part and getting the wheels turning again with your kids and making sure they're going to be like, sit still and they'll get going and all that. So we stop, we nurse, that whole stuff. Zaza's great. He gets in the car. And the minute we decide to take off, he decides with every breath inside of his lungs to just release it with just blood-curdling screams for the next 15 minutes on our drive home. Now, could I have continually pulled the car over to help him? Yes, I could have. But we have been gone a long time. We've been on the road for hours. I just wanted to get home. I wanted to put them to bed. I probably wanted to watch, like, MasterChef or something like that, and then I wanted to go to sleep, okay? So we, I just let him cry. He's screaming. I mean, he's screaming the whole time. I have the audio recording because what I do is when something happens with my family, I'll record the story immediately so I have it for later, and then when the Lord moves in me to, like, preach on something, I can give you illustration and help you understand it. And so I can hear him even in the recording screaming in the background, for proof for my, myself that I'm not, like, making crazy stories up. Because preachers do that, by the way. They make crazy stuff up that didn't actually happen. My stories, they're real. My kids are as awful as I talk about them every time. So he's crying in the background. Me and Sid are fully aware of it. I hear him screaming in this eardrum blasting me. I'm fully aware that he's crying the whole time. Here's Z from the back sitting next to him. Z's watching us like, they keep driving. Why aren't they stopping for my brother here? They're still driving. He's kind of looking at Zai He's looking up at us. And then he goes like this, uh, mama, baby's crying. <laughs> We're fully aware of it, you understand here. Uh, mama, baby's crying. Do you hear him? He's crying. So Sid could have responded since she already knew this. She could have said, thanks, Sherlock. Didn't know that already. Like this, uh, this perforated eardrum from this drive in his uh, lungs? Yeah, didn't know that. What was her response? He said, mama, baby's crying. Sid responded, oh, is baby crying? Like, like genuine. I would have said the thanks, Sherlock line, okay? <laughs> she said, oh, oh, ba- baby's crying? What should we do? Pause for dramatic effect. This is no joke. I have the recording. This is crazy how God gives me this stuff to help you guys. Z's response, he goes, pray. So what can we learn from this? Like, how can this help us grow? 
It's very simple. Me and Sid already knew the problem. It was that Z and his childlike faith, and that's what God's asking of us, a childlike faith. He told us like we didn't know and we've never known before. The problem with a lot of us is we immediately size it up and we go, God already knows that. I don't need to pray about it. God is fully aware of this. God already knows my problem. God already sees what I'm going through. And a lot of times what we we will do is the most obvious thing that needs to be done, pray. We don't do it because we already think that God is just going to take care of it because he's aware of it. But what God's asking of us is God is asking us to stop and lean into this idea that we need to speak to him as if he doesn't know about it and we need to reveal it to him for the first time. Why? Because in the same way that it did for Sid, and he said, pray. Do you know what we did? We stopped and we prayed. Why? Because it moved her mama heart. When you tell God things, even though he already knows them, he looks at you like his child. And so then he sees in you a childlike faith that moves his heart to say, you know what, I want to do something about that because that's important to them. And they've now moved my heart, and guess what? It's important to me. My son got home from preschool today. He made some sort of like sunflower, like he had these like sunflower seeds in the middle, and it was like a, a sunflower design with like, I don't, I don't know, like what's those bendy, straw, furry straw things? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, pipe cleaners. Why are they called that? Like people smoking pipes and cleaning, like clean them? What is it? Anyways, so he shows me this whole thing. Listen, I, I didn't really care about it. But I stopped writing my sermon. I stopped everything I was doing. Why? Because he cared about it. And I gave him time. I gave him attention. I took a picture of him. If you see, uh, if you look on my Instagram story, I did that not because I cared about this not very well done piece of art, if we're honest here. The kid is not going to be Picasso. I'm just... But because he cared, I cared. God is looking for us to come with this childlike faith to get his attention, to show him that we care, he cares, he should care. And we just came off this whole series, Faith. If you didn't get to uh, watch it, listen to it, you really should because faith is, is what is absolutely necessary when you go to pray. Because James even talks about this. If you pray for things but you don't actually believe in what you're praying for and have faith, it ain't going to happen anyways. Faith is necessary, especially when you talk about praying like Jesus told us to pray. We just read the entire segment here in Matthew 6. But let's look at just this verse here, verse 10. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if it's not resonating with you, you need some faith for that. Why why, why do I need faith for that? Because the kingdom is invisible. The kingdom that Jesus is talking about here, you can't see it right now. You can't see it with our eyes. It's a spiritual realm. It's a spiritual kingdom. You need faith eyes even to be able to see what Jesus is talking about. When we talk about the will of God, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom or will, it's the same. It's not of this world. God's will is something not of this world. That's why we can't understand it. We struggle enough to understand things in this world, much less understand things that are not of this world. That's why many times you can't understand what God's asking for you because his will for your life is not something you can understand because it's not even from here. It takes faith. Your kingdom come, I don't understand it, but I have faith to see it. Your will be done, I don't understand it, but I have faith 
to believe and to follow it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. See, as human beings, what we want to do, we're so selfish, guys. We are so selfish. We want to pray, our kingdom come, our will be done. I want what I want when I want it. It's the definition of lust, by the way. I just gave it to you if you need help. If you get the immediate satisfaction that you want when you want it, that's lust. It can never be love. We do this with everything. Like when Jesus is teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, you guys realize how close this is? Same word. It's the same word. Remove the why. That's all it is. Your kingdom come versus our kingdom come. Your will be done versus our will be done. It's one letter difference. But can I tell you it's a big difference? It matters the way we approach it. It's completely different. And the problem that many of us struggle with is because we want our own will, we can't see that God already has a perfect will. God already has something not of this world. You realize he wants to give you something extraterrestrial, something that you can't get here on earth, something foreign, something of another realm. He wants to give you something eternal. He wants to give you something spiritual. He wants to give you something that isn't tangible necessary in your ha- necessarily in your hands, but it's something that gets inside of your heart and your soul, and it transforms you. Why? Because it's not of this world, his kingdom or his will. So the Father has this perfect will for us. But many of us, we never actually get to it because we can't let out of our mouth your, we can only let out of our mouth our. What I want, me, my kingdom, my will. And God wants to try to show us here that we can get this good, pleasing, perfect will. We can have it. We can. But it's on one term. It has conditions. It's his kingdom. It's his will. Because Jesus, see, he's looking for people that want to partner in prayer. If I could inspire some people in the room. He's looking for young people in this generation that will feel his heartbeat that will care about, cry about, dig into what he cares about. And he's asking you to partner in prayer with himself. You realize that Jesus is an intercessor. The Bible says that he intercedes on behalf of us. He prays. He cares. He's looking for some of you that this would get so deep in your soul it keeps you up at night, not because you're anxious, not because you're worried, but when you wake up, you got to pray three in the morning, you got to get out of bed, and you go to pray, and here's the beauty. Or some of you are used to staying up all night because of your own anxieties. If you just follow the scripture where it says, pray about everything when you're anxious, pray about everything, you could overcome some of that too. That's maybe another sermon. We'll see. But some of you kept all night because you're anxious and worried. You could wake up in the night, feel the burden of God, which is a blessing. Feel his heart. You could get on your your face, on your knees, whatever it is. Seek his face. You'll go back to bed and... Completely out. Why? Because you know that you were just a partner in prayer. You know that you were just a builder of the kingdom. You know that you were helping something that Jesus said would be established. You were a part of this. But this is what you have to understand. When we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, and that's what we like to talk about a lot. Like A lot of people say, I want God's will. Do we? Let's discuss it tonight. Do we? Let's discuss it tonight. But see, the, this prayer, it isn't what God wants for us. I need you to help you understand that. When Jesus is teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, your, it's not what God wants for us. It's how he wants to teach you, align your heart, and get you ready 
for what he can do through you, not for you. It's what God wants to use you for to partner in prayer. It's what God wants to use you for here to see, to see people come to know Jesus. That's why we say invite people to one night and all this stuff. It is the easiest way to see somebody change, just inviting them to one night. But it's even bigger than that. It's that you would catch something inside of you because when you pray, when you lean in the Father's heart, you can't help but see people that are dying and going to hell and you have to tell them about it. See, some of you, it's very easy and content. You can come here every week. And listen, if you're inviting people and they're not coming, it's okay. You're still doing exactly what God asked you to do. But if there's never a point where an invitation to come to church with you comes out of your mouth, you do not have the heart of the Father. Because if you're content with coming here by yourself, that means you're content with your own salvation and you don't care about the salvation of other people. If there's never a point when you stop and you see that somebody else is, is broken and struggling in life and they're in need of Jesus, it's because you're praying my kingdom and my will, but you're not praying your kingdom and your will because his kingdom is all about seeing people come to know him. His will is all about you stepping in his plan for your life, his ways, and acknowledging that if you have him and he can use you and everything is through you, that's, whole, that's a whole lot better than what he can do for you rather than what he could do through you. So much better, so much better. I started this prayer uh, journal. Probably most of you do this. I, I didn't because I, I didn't. I took the collision prayer journal, and at the top, don't do a type because these are personal prayers, by the way. But I have like, uh, I have September prayers right here. And then I did this because with my phone, I'd pick it up, and every time I went to go write down a prayer, I'd be on Instagram. So uh, chose to do this. Help me better in my prayer time healthier, okay? So I, I began writing down these prayers, very just simple, not long out, like, Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I just like, checkbox, do it. And uh, I have some really important things. And what I'm doing is I'm, by month, putting my prayers in faith that it's going to happen that month. But see, I'm not discouraged if it doesn't happen that month. I'm just pressing God to do it that month. I figured if Abraham could press God to not want to destroy an entire nation, and he got, got to the point to say, okay, that sounds good. In the Old Testament, how much more when I have the Holy Spirit can I press on God to say, God, this is what I need this month. And it's not just for me. I actually uh, I have people in here, a specific prayer I put in there of somebody that needed a job and they needed to make a specific amount of money. And how cool is it? I have these check boxes. I just last week got to check that off. I preached, I preached Wednesday uh, last week, and uh, right afterwards they told me, hey, I got that job and I'm gonna make that money, and it's the money we needed so that, long story short, my family can, every, all our needs can be supplied and all of that, and I got to check that off. How exciting is that, that it wasn't because of me or anything, but I got to be a part of praying into something on behalf of the will and the kingdom of God. I wanna explain how this works. I could really easily go, I prayed it so God has to do it. That's not how it works. It's your kingdom come, your will be done. If you wanna do it, that's great. If he had something else in mind, that's great, but I prayed into it, and I got to be a part of it. And I wanna teach you this because if I were to simply say, oh, it's just God's will for that person, maybe partially, yes. But don't limit God too small. Let's at least make our horizon a little bit bigger. Did that person and their family in that situation need more finances? Yes. This was a blessing of God providing for them. They needed that. But could we think bigger than that? What if God's plan is bigger? What if it's not that he just wanted to provide for their need, but what if he wanted to see his kingdom come as well? What if he strategically wanted them at that job 
because there's people that are in need of Jesus. And now they can influence somebody at that workplace, many, maybe many somebodies that could come to know Jesus because they work there now. Do you know why that's important? Because if you get a job for more money, we call it the will of God. If it's less money, is it still the will of God? Because maybe at times God is trying to tee you up where you might make less money and it's still his will because you get to build his kingdom. His will is done when his kingdom comes. And when his kingdom comes, his will is done. You can't dislink these two thoughts. The way that God wants to work and move in all of this is very important. So this is how you know how to pray into it. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. The apostle John said, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. Like you can be confident when you pray. How do you know? Look at how you said to pray. That if we ask anything, if we stopped there, it would be a problem. But he describes it more. If you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Why do you think that John wrote it so specific? Maybe because there's a lot of people that will ask a lot of God, but it's according to their will. So if the equation is this. Ask anything according to his will, then he hears, and it's very simple. Ask anything according to your will, he doesn't hear you. Isn't that crazy to think? You can shut the ears of God Almighty. You can cause him not to even listen or hear you. Or you literally can cause him to perk his ears Dumbo style, wide open to have to listen to you, to have to. I'm saying he has to. He has to. It's literally like when I pray according to your word, according to your will, according to who you are, your character, what you want, when I pray that way, you have to listen to me. This is why the Bible says we can go boldly into the throne room of grace. That's why. Because he has to listen to you. He has to take time for you. He has to pay attention to you. The, the, the beauty of it is he's, he's the father, and so he looks at it not as he has to, but he gets to. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to, have our, he wants to take the picture of the stupid sunflower pic, like, like thing that with his son, daughter, you guys, us. Right? And we do that with God, by the way. We want him to be so proud of us. We're like, well, look what I did. I don't lie anymore. <laughs> it's a good start. I used to play video games for 10 hours. I only do it for nine now, God. Hey, I'll take that because if that one hour you use it to pray, that's actually a good investment. We do the same thing with God. We want him to be proud of us. But let's just turn that off for a second. We already know he's our father. Go listen last week. But what, what if it wasn't that? What if he is just a business CEO that doesn't treat us as children but as customers? Can I tell you, he just gave us the equation of how to get us him on the line. If you ask him something according to his will, he has to drop what he's doing, and he has to listen to you. Everything that comes out of your mouth, he has to hear you. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to move his heart, and he's going to want to perform on that behalf because it's his will. But the problem is we don't treat talking to God like that. We don't treat talking to God like it, it, it's this thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to spend this time with God, and there, there's this equation for his will. What we do is we let our emotions, our wants, our desires get all entangled into his will, and we try to call it all still his will. But it's not. Our wants and his will are not always the same thing. Sometimes they can align. That's called, when, when the Bible says that God will give you the desires of your heart, if you were to break that and translate, translate that scripture, it means that when it is connected to his will, 
and even it's our heart's desire. Some of our wants, it's called the desires of your heart in Scripture. But what we do is we treat prayer like it's shopping on Amazon. That's how we treat it. Anybody like Amazon? I love Amazon, by the way. I swear, our neighbors got to think we're rich or something because I'm not joking. We'll have like five to ten Amazon packages at our house like every day. Like that's, that's like slight over-exaggeration, two to five. Now it's telling the truth, okay? So no joke, like every day because it's free shipping and free returns. Come on, somebody. I really hope that Jeff Bezos, I really hope that he comes to know Jesus because he deserves extra blessing and favor on his life. But we'll talk about why he is not going to get that yet. We'll talk about that. But people got to think that we're rich because they don't see us returning. They just see us getting all the stuff. I mean, like, if I, like, see a shirt or something I like, I'll, I'll be like, yep, I'll buy it in every single color and have it shipped. And then it's pretty rough. I try every single one of them on. And then I walk in, I show Sid, and she goes, it looked good on the model. <laughs> Just joking. What's that sermon called? They might know to help some people in the room. I, I don't even remember. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like some, the offense message. Go find it on YouTube. You'll find it. It'll help you out. A defensive offense. There it is. Go find it. Watch it. Then you'll know, ha, 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 inside joke. I love inside jokes. I'll be a part of one someday. We can all be a part. Uh, <laughs> What are we talking about? Amazon. The, prayer, the, the problem with uh, if treating our prayers like Amazon, Amazon's amazing, right? You go on there, anything you like, you're like, add the cart, baby. So there's two types of Amazon people. There is basically how I am and how my wife is. I'd like to know if you use Amazon in the room, how you are. Here's how I am. It's I create lists and things like that. It book lists, clothes lists, uh, guitar, um, video games, random stuff. And then when I like something that I'm not ready to buy yet, I put them in my list so I can find them later. Then there's the person that's like my wife. Every single thing that she likes on any given day, she just adds to cart, adds to cart, adds to cart. You got like a hundred things in your cart. How do you even decide which one you want anymore? Right? So the problem is we get on there on, on Amazon, we go add to cart. And then it's so convenient because our credit card is already installed if you have one. And my shipping address is already prepared. All that I got to do is check out. And I don't know, this is like bad too. I've been given a ton of Amazon gift cards. And I'm always like, I'll need that for something someday. I never spend them. I have like $200 in Amazon gift cards sitting there. And every time it's like, use your Amazon gift card. I'm like, no, I'll put it on the credit card. I'm not using my Amazon gift card. I'm going to need that for something important, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I, I should have used it by now, but I didn't. And so then your, your address is there, and then you look and you go, Prime? Two, three days, it's going to be here. Free ship, free return, let's go, buy. And the issue is we see prayer like that. I want all of these things, and here's my desires, and here's what I care about, and so, Lord, I need you to hurry up and answer. But God is not wanting to give you quick answers. He's wanting to help you gain something so much more important, a real awareness to his presence. It's the reason he doesn't answer you the first time sometimes. It's, it's the reason. See, you could just start and just go, God, this is what I need. And he will respond. But when you linger and when you sit with him and when you worship, 
We'll turn on, I, I don't know what my wife was doing today. I could, I could sense, though, in our house, there was a presence of God in our house, and she was just worshiping, uh, petitioning, requesting, God, I need some things. God, this is who you are. You're good. And uh, I knew that because the music slowly just got louder and louder in our house. And I knew that it was God, and it wasn't um, Zion, because number one, he's, a scared of, he's scared of Siri. Number two, um, she, she goes nuts if there's too much volume at the same time. Like, if the kids are screaming and then the music's on, I just, like, all I hear is the music. I don't even hear the kids. Like, who are those my kids? Whatever, okay. And so I knew it was God. The music got louder because she was seeking his face. If you get quick answers, you think it's good for you, but it's not because then when things get really hard and things get really tough, and the quick answers that will suffice in this season, can I tell you, they don't help you in the next season. But if it's not quick answers, but it's actual, real, tangible awareness of God's presence, his voice, distinguishing, that's the voice of God because it's good, because it's true. Because if I look in, this is what I thought I heard. I go in his word and I look, oh, it's his voice because his word says that and God won't go against his word. Because we do not replace our experience and put that over top of God's word. If you think that God told you something, uh, yeah, he told me. I'm telling you for sure. I know it's not in the Bible, but he told me. That's called a cult. That's how cults start. But it's like, I heard God say this. And then you look in his word, and it's like, yes, God did say that. That's how you know it's the voice of God. And he wants you to be able to sit and linger and hear his voice. He wants you to begin to discover his heart. Discover his will. Discover what he has for you. See, everybody wants to get to the destination. But it's the journey that God's all about. It's the drive. I hate driving. I hate it. Literally, I'm not joking. When I read the scripture, and uh, who was it? Was it Philip? Who was the, the dude that teleported himself? Philip? I'm like, bro. Let's go. If I could just teleport from destination to destination, I would. But God is not interested necessarily in the destination nearly as much as he is the drive. He really is. He's so interested in you just slowing up, being aware of his presence, aware of his voice, beginning to understand his heart more, lean into what he has for you. But prayer isn't just about what you can present, what you can petition, what you can tell him. That's part of it. He, he lets us. You guys realize that? He lets us be a part of this. He cares about what we care about. But it's more than that. It's about understanding his heart, learning his heart. If I can help somebody in the room, again, if you don't have this scripture written down, 1 John 5.14, if you didn't have that written down, you need to read it again. Let me help you. Let's save some time when we pray and make it count. He wants you to learn his heart so you can learn his will, so that when you pray, you can pray according to his will, so that he'll hear you and answer you. And so many people, what they do is they just pray whatever they feel rather than, like, learning what the Word of God says and knowing how to pray. He wants you to take time with him. That's what prayer. So prayer and taking the time with him is learning how to pray. It's kind of weird, right? As you pray and take the time to learn the heart of God, you can take the time to learn his heart, his will, what he cares about. And then from there, when you take that time to pray that you've already been taking, it's like it's, it's a weird thing right here. You'll know what to say, what to pray, so that he can respond to what you just said. See, ultimately, being a part of the kingdom of God and the will of God 
comes down to one question. Are you ready for a convicting question here tonight? One question. If you can answer this question, you can answer that you truly care about your kingdom and your will. One question. Am I committed to obeying God? Do you actually care about it? Actually. Like you really care about it. It's important to you. Before I left today, Z was seeing that I was coming here to the church to get ready. He goes, where are you, where are you going? You going to church? He goes, I'm going to church in a little bit. And I go, I oh, mean, I love church, Z. He goes, I love church too. And I love Jesus. But in his mind, it was like there's church and there's Jesus. And so we're teaching them how all this is connected, right? And I said, man, Z, I love Jesus. I want to obey. I want to obey Jesus. Listen to Jesus. It's the number one thing we're teaching them. Z is learning that in order to truly get to know Jesus and love Jesus, obeying him is super necessary. Am I committed to obeying God? Am I committed to obeying God when I want to be in this relationship, but I know it's probably not the right time. It's probably not what God has. It's probably not his will. But am I committed to listening to him over what I want? Is my, am I committed to obeying God when I want to go to school A, but I can feel a pull on my heart that God wants me at school B? And I label them that way because that's how we see it. We see it as A choice and B choice, but God sees it as A choice and B choice. A and I won't use Z because that's F. You get an F. Am I committed to obeying God? When I want to work this job because, because I want to make this amount of money. When God is like, listen, you're going to hate that. In five years, you're going to hate that. You're going to hate making all that money. You think that's going to make you happy? Am I committed to obey God where I can sense, I can sense it's not his will for me because I've prayed about it. And I'm not just going to do what I want, but I want to be committed to obeying God. See, I believe that Jesus had to even answer this question, am I committed to obeying God? Jesus had to answer it. He did it, he did it when he was in the garden and he was being tested. The only way you'll know whether or not you actually are committed to obeying God is if you're tested. Jesus was frustrated. Jesus was in pain. Jesus was going through hardship. And, and look at this moment here. The question Jesus is answering, am I committed to obeying the Father? Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now remember, this is right before he's about to go to the cross. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, which is a crazy thing to say because he knows what he's about to experience is death itself. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed. He said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. I don't want to do this. I hate this. I don't like it. He was honest. There's nothing wrong with being honest with God. But how do you end your prayer with God? Honesty. But then he goes, yet not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want, God, but what you want. Because 
you might not understand this because you're in the season where you're drinking a lot of bad decision juice. Where you don't understand that the decisions you're making today strongly affect tomorrow. In ways that you can't comprehend right now until finally you've made too many bad decisions and then you're stuck with all the consequences of them. And if you could catch this, that you want the will of God more than anything else, it's to simply know that you are in his love, that you love him, you're going after him, you care about his word, you care about leadership and mentors that he puts in front of you, you care about what he has to say, you want to know how to pray to him and talk and communicate, like you care. It's not like, well, I just go to church, whatever, I'll do what I want. It's like you care about his will. It's not that you can't care about what you want as well. You can, but you submit it to what he wants over what you want. See, Jesus is here, and, and he's praying this because he's distinguishing that there's a difference between our will and his will, our desires and his desires. That if you don't, if you don't uh, make sure you add that why, your versus our, it makes a big difference. It's one letter, but it changes everything. That if you don't zone into the fact that, God, it's what you want, not just what I want. Man, I could preach so much about the will of God right now. I've learned a little bit about it because I've gone outside of his will, and I can tell you there's parameters he puts in place that when I went outside of it, I learned what it felt like to be outside of it and inside of it. And I can't imagine right now in this season of my life, raising kids, having cancer, leading this ministry, just the life i got to live, what it would be like to be outside of it. So I've known what that tastes like. Jesus is trying to distinguish there's a difference. And I wish I could teach you on that, but I don't have enough time. I'm going to give you just a little, like, teaser, a little sampler tonight to help you. But see, this message is about prayer. And this series is about prayer. That it matters that we pray about God's will and his kingdom and what he has for us because it changes everything. But to give you a little sampler to help you about learning about God's will, I'm going to teach you something. I did this years ago, and I've given, like, a little update to help you. Three C's to knowing God's will. It's this simple. And when we pray, it's this simple. It's three C's. God's will is confirmed, it's celebrated, and it's connected. It's very simple. If you don't have all three of them, you have none of them. It's that simple. Let me break them down really quick for you. God's will is confirmed. When you pray... Even then, from when it goes into your prayers, it could, should, should be leadership voices, mentors that speak into you. They're going to confirm what you say that you heard from God. You're like, man, God's will for my life is this. Can I tell you, it will be confirmed. I promise you, it will be. See, what happens, especially I watch so many different people, like they get in relationships or whatever it is. And, and then all of their peers are like, oh, my gosh, they're so cute. They're the best couple ever. No, most of the time they have no clue what they're doing, and if they're not careful, they could wreck their lives 90% of the time. I'll give like a 10% grace, 99. I'll give a 1% grace. I've been doing this for too long. So see, those people's voices that are exactly where you are, that know nothing, they haven't made it. They're not married. They haven't had kids. I'd even say, listen, I can teach you a lot, but I'm only eight years in. Do you know the only reason I can teach you a lot is because pastors taught me a lot. And the reason that pastor can teach me a lot is because my papa has taught him a lot. Because when you lean into the leaders and mentors that have gone before you, and then once you've prayed and people around you that matter, not your peers that they just tell you what you want to hear. And, oh, you guys are so cute. Relationship, it could be a job, school, anything. I'm just using an example right here. It does not matter until you hear it from people where the proof is in the pudding. 
That's, the, that's like the, what's the analogy? It's, it'll be confirmed, I promise. When you pray about it, other people will speak it. They'll be like, man, I see this in you. I do see that. That's good. That's huge. I, I can think of different people have felt called to minister. They've gone one direction halfway through. I'm like, have you ever thought about this? And then the stirring of God, the will of God, it just starts taking off in people's lives because it's confirmed. The second one, man, I, I want to preach a whole message on this right now, but it's like it's praying in his will, right? It's celebrated. Like, I'm not going to hate that you're getting married. I'm going to be excited that you're marrying that person. Can I tell you, I've had to do weddings where I, I, it was very hard. I couldn't celebrate it. I, I knew they, weren't, they were in sin. I knew they weren't following Jesus. I knew it wasn't God's will for them in life. And I'm up there performing a wedding that I'm not celebrating. Don't just think because people are there, they're celebrating you. They're, they're there because you have good food afterwards. When you pray into stuff and you think you're so excited and you hear God's voice, there will be people that matter around you that will celebrate it, and it will infuse your soul with celebration. Number three is it's connected. The decisions you make tomorrow, they, today, they affect tomorrow. It is constant. It's continuous. It keeps going forward. He speaks to you more. He has more of his will for you. He reveals more to you. But understand that the decisions you make today, they will affect tomorrow. Can I just tell you a quick example here? I'll give you, I'll give you two pathways that it's all connected. I'll give you two. When I was um, 12 years old, I was called to ministry. 16 years old, I was called to be a youth pastor. From there then, I was asking God his will of where I should go to college. I wanted to go to Florida. My whole family, all my cousins, my aunt and uncles were the, the vice president of that university. And that, I only applied to one school. And then I went on a college days trip, and I felt it so enormous, enormously in my system, like, I should go to North Central University. So I went. Other people were coming behind it and speaking. I went. As I went there, I got opportunities I should have never gotten. I was just a youth pastor major. I wasn't a music major. I wasn't anything like that. I got to lead worship in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the course of my time in college. Should have never gotten that opportunity, ever. So I began to learn skills there I couldn't have gotten at that other school. I would have never gotten the opportunity. I promise you, this was once in a lifetime. Then I come back to Gateway every summer and I intern, and I learn more and more and more skills. Everything that we know how to do now, I learned in that season while I was interned. What's crazy is I never knew I was going to start We Are One College where I'd be able to teach people all the stuff I learned. Look at the connectedness here. Received the will of God into ministry. I went into ministry, listened. I went to the school he told me to go to because it's not what I, I mean. I changed last minute to go to school. Went to the school he told to. I got experiences and, and learned things I would have never learned. Then I come and intern at a place. I got other opportunities to intern. I could have stayed, stayed in like Minneapolis and other things. I came home, did what he asked me to do, learned even more. Next thing I know, I'm starting We Are One College. You could flip the same thing, right? I'm called, let's flip it. Here's another example. And it's all connected. I'll just give you two lines of thought here. I, uh, I'm called into ministry. I follow God's call for my life. I come and intern. Let's start there. I'm interning one summer, and we're doing outreach in the city. And I look out, and I see this girl. And I tell my friends, hey, I'm going to invite that girl to church. I'm going to find the hottest girl in the crowd. I'm going to invite her to church. And I walked up to my wife when she was 16 years old. I was 19. Okay? We didn't date yet because it was like that weird phase where it's like you're still like a kid, and I'm kind of becoming a man now. And so... Invite her to church. <laughs> Gave her a DVD. That's all we used to have back in the day. We didn't have, like, the social and stuff we got. We had now, right? So I was like, hey, here's a DVD. I, I'm from Gateway. Come to church. If I had never received my calling and if I had never gone and interned, I would have never invited her to church. 
It wasn't that just one day we got married. That's the end game. And let me just take a step back. If, if I had never invited her to church, she would have never come to know Jesus, which is the most important thing. But then even from that, when I graduated from North Central and came back home, she left from home and went to North Central. Why? Because then God had a call on her life, and God called her into full-time ministry to marry a youth pastor. She didn't tell me that. I'm glad. I would have freaked out. I wouldn't have married her. She kept it to herself until we were engaged. But that's what God told her. You're called the youth ministry. I got a youth ministry degree. She got a youth development degree, more on like the psychology end, and mine is more on like the ministry end, both youth. Do you see how God's will is connected? One decision you make is not one decision. It is a lifetime full of decisions. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that God can't work in things, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but I'm saying that when God's will is confirmed, and you're like, okay, good. I, get, I feel confidence in the Lord with that myself. And then it's celebrated. It's like, oh, baby, I'm, I'm doing this. Then you do what God asks you to do. Can I just show you what blessing looks like? I just painted the picture for you. If, you. if you don't think that's what blessing looks like, because then I married that girl seven years later after finding her in the crowd. We have two kids together right now. We're believing in faith that despite cancer and anything that was happening in my life, we're going to have a third kid in Jesus' name. We, we ain't there yet. That's not like a, that's not like a telling you, but it's going to happen. Because, see, we're clinging to faith right now because it isn't happening like it did with our second one. But I told, I said, listen, we do not put God in a box. This is his story. This is his will. He opens doors no one can shut. He closes doors no one can open. We're going to have faith, and this will be his story. And when we have that third child, it's going to be our miracle child because God made me a promise. And do you know how you lean into a promise? Prayer. You get with God in prayer. And when you say amen, you say, so be it, is what you're saying. You say, listen, if you give me a promise, I'm going to pray that promise right back to you. Because what comes from your word, what comes from your lips, you can't go against. So amen. You dig into that promise through prayer. I could give you illustration after illustration. But if you want his good, pleasing, and perfect will, you will find that it will be confirmed, celebrated, and it will be connected. It will deeply impact your life because you realize in the same way I can flow down that river, I can go down the opposite side because if you get out of God's will, can I tell you, it's connected as well. It has impact and it matters as well. But the difference is you stay in God's will. He is obligated to bless you. You get out of his God's will, let me help you. This ain't prosperity gospel. This is the real thing. His word, truth, he is not obligated to bless you. He is not obligated to fix your mistakes. He is not obligated to make all your problems right because you're outside of his will. You buy something that you don't have the means and the money to buy, he's not obligated to fix that because it wasn't in his will for you to purchase it in the first place. You get in a relationship he didn't want for you, even worse, you marry somebody that he didn't want for you, he's not obligated to bless you because you went outside of his will. You, you go to a school, you get a job, paint the picture, he does not have to bless you. And a lot of people want to preach, oh, God loves us so much. He does not have to bless you. He does not have to bless your mess. He doesn't have to. He really doesn't. That is his word. But can I help you, give you some hope? 
I hope that you don't have to cling to this and you have to go outside of his will and to fix your life and screw up so much in the meantime where it connects all these things where you've had a couple divorces and a couple kids with different people and, and then you're trying to blend all these families and it's an absolute mess when you could have just done it right the first time. If I ask, show of hands, how many people you're, don't, don't, don't do it. But how, show of hands, how many people in the room, your parents were divorced, I guarantee 50% of this room will go up. Why? I didn't ask for it. So it's okay. It's okay. No one saw it. It's okay. I'm just not trying to point it out. It's my point. My point is this. Why? Because they didn't care about God's will at your age. And if at your age, you'll pray about it. You'll care about it. You'll lean into it. You don't have to make those same mistakes. You get to rewrite history. You get to change the line and the legacy of your family name. See, the, where the hope comes in is God doesn't have to bless your mess. But because he's a loving God, because he pulls people up from the ashes, because he is a redeemer, because he's a forgiver, because we are his children and he's a father that loves us, at the point that you will bow your knee, repent, and humble yourself, he will bless you. Don't care how much you've messed up, how far off the beaten path you've gone. He will forgive, redeem, bless, but he can only do so much. He can't go back and rewrite all the failed marriages. He can't go back and rewrite all the different people you slept with. He can't go back and rewrite all the debt and everything you've accrued. He can't do that. He can only work with now what you've presented to him to bless from that point. But if you want his hand and his blessing and his touch on your life, I'm telling you, you need to tremendously care about his will. God is not a driver's training instructor. How many of y'all, show of hands, you've taken driver's training? Okay, quite a few of you. I ain't going to ask if you passed parallel parking. We ain't going to talk about that. I ain't going to ask how many times you took it. Because listen, if I know, I'll be scared to leave the church at the same time as you on the road every time. So I don't even want to know. He's not a driver's training instructor. Now, if you've taken driver's training, and I don't know how the cars were that you've had, but there's the car where the driver's training instructor's there in the other seat, and they have their own brake. And they got their own wheel. Wheel? No? I've seen them in some, not these ones? Okay, so brake. You guys just helped me tell the story I'm about to tell because it, like a flash, just came back when you said that. Okay, I'll tell it now. My first time on the expressway, driver's training. Was this, sec do you drive segment one or only segment two? Okay, so this was segment one, I'm pretty sure then. I was like, what, 14, 15, whatever you start? It's like, I think like five, six years before you get your license, right, for some of you. Uh, so I'm on the expressway, I go out for the first time, and I didn't realize that this mirror and that mirror were looking at different things. So I'm in the car, and I'm looking outside my driver's mirror, and I see that it's clear, so I go to change lanes. But did, I don't know if you guys knew this, that mirror only accounts for this side of the car. <laughs> this is true story. I'm not making this up. I look out that mirror not realizing that in that mirror was a semi-truck. So I literally, I, I go to change lanes, and, and, he, and he saw my driver's training instructor, bless his heart, we got to pay these people more money. <laughs> like, what they do, 
That's like the equivalent of like going on the battlefield in the military or something like that. I mean, like this is, this is they're out there like trying to like save lives, save their life. And so I'm going, I'm changing lanes, and like you hear this semi trunk just just honk. If you ever had like a huge semi truck go by and it honks, it shakes your whole car, it shakes your heart, it shakes your past, present, future. I mean, it like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it's like it's the same thing when the police come behind you with the lights. It just like you stop breathing, you die. They have to resuscitate you. You know the whole thing. So I'm going, to change, I'm going to change lanes here, and quickly, now, like, as you guys said, it was like a flash. The story came back to me. I, I thought there was a wheel here. It wasn't. He grabs the wheel, whips it back over. He's, like, hitting the brake, trying to, like, maneuver us and everything, and he saves our lives. I'm here today <laughs> because of a driver's training instructor. I would love to tell you that I'm here today because of Jesus but it's Jesus and my driver's training instructor. <laughs> Listen, so God's not that. He's not a driver's training instructor. He's given you something called free will. And the reason that he's given it to you is because he's not going to force you to love him. He's not going to force you to do what he wants for you. So he's given you an option to lay down your will to pick up his. He is not going to hit the brake on you. And I'll, will he save our lives at times? Oh, man, I believe he sends angels all the time to save our lives. But every time that you want to go outside of his will and live your life for yourself, he's not a driver and training instructor on the expresso when that semi's in the lane. You look out the wrong mirror. He's going to let you go off course. He's going to let you live for yourself. He's going to let you make so many mistakes you can't even imagine. He's going to let you sin. And here's what hurts the most. He's going to let you turn in the opposite direction, knowing you're bound for hell, and he's going to let you. Because he's given you this will that you would bend it before him and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So that at that point, when you would surrender it to the Lord, he gets to bless you. He gets to forgive you and save your soul. He gets to see your legacy and your line go forward in a way that some of you right now, all that you sense is the brokenness of what you've come from, and you can't even have faith to believe for where you're going. But see, if you'll continue to pray into something like his will and follow Jesus and believe that he has that for you, he wants to do it. Think about when Jesus was in the garden, and he prayed, that, he prayed that, that prayer. But then look at what it says. It says that he tells the disciples what? In Mark 14, verse 38, he said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Catch these last few words here. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Why? Because your spirit wants to. But your flesh is going to do the opposite. The spirit of the living God inside of you, it longs to do God's will. It wants to follow Jesus. It wants to marry the right person. It wants to not sneak around with that person. Listen, I've done plenty sneaking around relationships, and I can even, I can sniff out when somebody's doing it. Just because I haven't come and talked to you doesn't mean I don't know you're doing it. I sense it in this room. There's people you're sneaking around. I felt that in my spirit as I just said it. Like, you're sneaking around. God knows. 
and he's letting you do it because he can't bless you if he made you. If he makes you follow him, he can't bless you for doing so. But see, when Jesus prays this, he's like, listen, your spirit, it's alive in you. It's willing. It wants to follow me. But the flesh wants to go off of your free will. The flesh wants to do what you want to do. The flesh wants to get caught up in things that you should never be caught up in. So this is where it is. Through the spirit of God, this is where we come and we humble ourselves. In what? Prayer. It's a time that we set aside in prayer every time. Do it every, I do it every time. Lord, I humble myself to you. Lord, I'm nothing without you. God, I can't do this life if you're not with me. And I acknowledge that without Jesus, I can't do it. And I acknowledge, I did this since I was a young person because it was hard. It was hard. I, some of you think like when we talk about relationships, it's like, oh, it's because it was easy for you. And you guys, I wanted to be with every girl at school that was popular, would make me, make me like look a certain way and everything. I dated numerous, numerous wrong people. It was not, it's not easy. It was the hardest thing I had. For me personally, I'm just saying this is me. I had to go through. Like that was very hard to submit my will to God's. It was very hard. And I would continually have to humble myself and say, Jesus, I acknowledge that your way is better. I acknowledge that the dream that you have for me is better. I acknowledge that your desire for me is better than my desire for all these things. I'll never forget when I was 16, there at the bike rack in Emily City. I think if you go like, to the, the, the front doors there, there's still a bike rack there, I'm pretty sure. And I broke up with my girlfriend there at 16 years of age. I wanted her more than I felt like I wanted life itself. But I knew if I kept following her, I couldn't follow Jesus. And I was going to make a choice. I was going to follow her. Or I was going to follow Jesus. I was going to go with my desire for her and my dreams for our life together. That was so stupid. With her than the dream that God had for me. I was going to go with my will or I was going to go with his will. And I realized at that point that my spirit was willing, but my flesh, it was very weak. So what do we have to do in order to allow the flesh to be crucified and the spirit to be alive? You have to be very, very fixated when you pray on your posture and your perspective. What do I mean by this? Last Thursday, pastor took all of us golfing, the pastoral team. I have been golfing since I was 13 years old. And uh, actually, I got, I got this right here. This is my golf glove. It's a little smaller. <laughs> Uh, that pastor gave me when I was like 12, 13 years, I think I was 12 years old. That's, 13 was the last time I've ever been golfing. I didn't do awful. I didn't do great. Pastor whooped all of us. Like he, he was out there, like he hadn't been in a while, but he was like a pro. He was just like, like he just, he just, he just did it, you know. Is anybody in the room, you actually, are you a golf? Anybody like, you like to golf? You are a golfer? Like, okay, enjoy it. Um, it was fun. I wasn't great, but can I tell you, that ball was on the green. I hit a 43-foot putt. True story. That's where you're supposed to golf clap. Right there. Too loud. Too loud. It's too, don't laugh. We don't laugh. Someone's hitting right now. And I know it's 43 feet because Pastor Luke took his iPhone and he went out and he... he he goes, bro, that was a 43-foot putt. No, it's not. Uh, 
You know what's crazy is we were trying to put in perspective. Do you realize that this ceiling height is like 25 feet to the top of that? You put in perspective. So now that I've built it up a little bit, is there anybody that wants to challenge me in a putting competition right now? Oh, man, are you good, though? I need someone I can beat. I'm preaching up here, man. Okay, Phil Lowe, get up here. Get up for Phil Lowe. Okay. So I'll come back to this. I posed, I, I posed a thought. I'll explain it. Don't worry, we'll get there. But me and Phil are going to get it. Turn that uh, return a little bit. Make sure that so the ball will come back to us there, that little thing. Okay. So how would we go, like, three balls, best of three, and every other? So you, me, you. So nobody gets, like, a hot streak. Don't be getting that on the other end. Uh, that's probably a little too much there. Um, I thought you were a bowler. Both? 20 years. 20 years of golf, you say. Okay. <laughs> And college. Well, I'm a spirit-filled anointed. No, okay. So are you. Okay, here. Got it in the water. I got it in the water. Okay. Hey, when we get in, please give the golf clap, please. Jesus, I know you said to love your enemies. Oh, okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. No mulligans. This is We Are One. We should start a We Are One golf team. In the water again? You know why? It's because Jesus said he's living water. I can't help but drink from him. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, gloria a Dios. Okay. So basically, it, I feel like this is going to be whoever sinks this one. Yeah, pretty much. Don't go wild. This is golf. Just a nice golf clap. I know when I hit it, you're going to want to, but just... And a hush falls over the audience. We gotta, we gotta go. Somebody, it's, we gotta do it. I mean, Thank you, thank you, silence, silence. Oh. Give it up for Phil anyways.
Okay, if you've never golfed, I'm going to teach you something. This is important. So I could teach you, um, you know, like your feet parallel to where you're hitting and all these different things, but that's not what you need to learn. What you need to learn is that when you golf, I, I would chip the ball, it'd go on the green, but it's not like this where it's straight and it's level. It's got all these different little hills on the green. It's got these little twists and turns. If you've seen like the Nike commercial with Tiger, the crazy putt where it's like, whatever, and it gets to the hole, and it's like, shows the Nike logo and like falls in the hole. Like the best commercial, right? You can't hit it straight. The angle that you hit and the power that you hit will determine the speed and the direction of the ball. If I simply were to just, on a typical golf green, just hit it straight, it would, go, it would wander. So I have to read the green, it's called. The problem is, when I was golfing, for example, if I were to come to the green, chip the ball on, and if I were to stand there and look at it, I'm telling you, you can't tell. When the sun's hitting you in the face, and it's like it's hitting the green, you can't tell. Do you know what you have to do? You have to get a different perspective. To get a different perspective, you have to change your posture. You come down. You can, at that moment, it's insane, I'm telling you. What you could see up here versus what you can see down here is completely different. Up there, it looks like one just piece of grass level. Down here, I see mountains and valleys. I see, like, little, like, like little gnomes and, and things living inside of there and villages. No, it's like, no, I see like hills and I see like, it's crazy what you can see down there. Why? Because when I changed my perspective based upon the change of my posture, it changed everything. So when I talk about this idea of changing your perspective, it's, uh, it should help you realize that there are going to be certain things that you can't see until God gives you eyes to see it the way that he wants you to see it. When you talk about this idea of changing your posture, it's, it's this simple. You all know the Tim Tebow, right? So it's the difference between standing and seeing the green, watch me now, versus changing my posture so I can see it a little closer. The reason that so many of you, you can't see like Jesus wants you to see with the perspective he has for you is because you're not changing your posture and getting in prayer for him to show it to you. If you would humble yourself, get off your high horse, stop thinking that everything you want is what you should have and and your ways are the right way, and God should just be your, your Amazon.com and give it to you when you want. And if you would change your posture, and if you would get with him, you'd begin to see like he sees. And you begin to feel what he feels. You would start praying things like, Lord, I know that this isn't about me, so I humble myself. It's about your kingdom. It's about other people coming to know you. It's about the world being, being able to have the opportunity, Jesus, to go to heaven. So, Lord, use me for your kingdom. Lord, there's a lot of things I want, 
Enlist him. Tell him. There's nothing wrong with telling him. Tell him. But Lord, I say not what I want, but what you want. Because, God, I'm in this point because I know that my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. I want you to think about this for a second. Why was Jesus praying in the garden right before he went to the cross? Might it be that he was so troubled, so broken? The Bible says he was like dripping sweat like it was, it was drops of blood coming from him. Might it be that his flesh was so strong that if he didn't get in prayer, the spirit could not be alive enough that he'd follow through with it? Do you realize the Bible says that three times, three times Jesus asked the Father, three times, three times, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way than me dying to forgive their sins? Is there any other way than this? Three times. He wanted to get out of it. And he, but even though he wanted to get out of it, he ended by saying, but Lord, not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but your will. Not the relationship I want, but what you have for me and the time you have for me. Not the career I want, but what you have for me when you have it for me. Not the school, the Ivy League that I've been studying for, I've been trying to get these A's for, or my mom and dad want me to go to, where, but Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you have for me? What is your heart saying that belongs in my legacy? Like, it's not just for me, it's through me, God. What do you want to do in the world? That's the kingdom. The kingdom is not for you, it's through you. It's what he wants to do, Lord, using me for your glory. So I, I, let, me, let me pose this question. I, I don't know the answer. The Bible doesn't clearly say this. I just, I just thought about it. If Jesus hadn't been in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was taken, that he'd be put on the cross for your sins and mine, if he hadn't been in prayer, would he have ever followed through with it? If he hadn't been in a posture to have the right perspective to see that even though I don't want to do this, Father, is there any other way but not what I want, but you want. And literally, the Bible says that as he's in that moment, here come all the soldiers. Here walks in Judas. He, he looks at him and says, friends, do what you've come to do quickly. And Judas comes up and the, the signal kissed him on the cheek and they took Jesus away to die the death that we could never die on the cross for us. And listen, he had the tenacity to pray prayers that we never would have if he hadn't showed us know how to pray. But he did it. He showed us even in human form, it's possible to humble ourselves. It's possible to change our posture. It's possible that you don't have to have poverty mindsets and perspectives where you're just thinking, well, one day, you know, like this guy and this guy and this guy left my mom and so what's going to happen to me or whatever it is. We get to have a new lens with God. In faith, we get to see Jesus in all of his glory with clarity. And when Jesus bent his knee, I would like to just dare say, at least pose this thought, if he hadn't been in prayer in the garden before that moment, could we receive forgiveness? Would he have ever gone to the cross? Because the flesh is powerful. It's so strong. It wants you to sin. It wants you to counter Jesus. It wants you to go off course. It wants you to live for your own will and your own kingdom. Now, God's, why is prayer important? 
Why do we need to pray? Why do you need to pray? So that we will, in this posture, humble ourselves and say, Lord, it's your kingdom that we, we want to see come. It's your will that we want to see be done on earth and it is in heaven. Lord, I don't want this. I don't want this. I don't want this. Jesus prayed it three times. But see, prayer, it doesn't just give us everything that we want when we want it. What it does is when Jesus, he said this, y'all know this line? Let this cup pass from me. Do you know what the cup represented? He's saying, please, this suffering, please. See, if I only have faith, if God will remove my cancer, then I'll keep following. It's not actually that much faith. And the prayers don't mean that much. But if I, when I pray in a posture saying, Lord, I'm just a man. I'm nothing without you. I believe that you're going to heal me. And I believe that you're doing a good thing in me. And I I'm not scared of this thing. But more than that, Lord, I'm not ever going to pray, Lord, your will is just so I wouldn't have this cancer. What if part of the will of God is that even though I want the cup to pass, prayer changes something in me where I actually care more about that God's with me than whether the cancer's with me or not. Who was it? It was PT the other day. He said, how you doing with, like, with the cancer? I go, oh, yeah, I forgot I have cancer. Now, I'm not saying that everyone's story because people have had to walk through deep things with chemo and all that. It, it's very much there. What's my point? My point is you can walk through suffering and prayer. The use of prayer doesn't have to be so it'll go away. The use of prayer will be so that you know God is with you as you walk through it. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. If there's anybody in the room tonight and you're just uh, saying that resonates with you and maybe you're struggling in something you're in right now that you know you've got to get out of. Maybe it's just a mindset you're struggling with. Maybe it's just prayer in general. We want to take time to pray over that, but specifically... I just want to speak right now to those that don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. The whole reason that Jesus prayed in the garden, the whole G reason that Jesus went through what he went through is so that there are people in this room that even will watch this message later, that they can know that there is a God that loves them so deeply that he was willing to go through suffering and the greatest agony for them so that they could be forgiven, so that they could be redeemed. And... Here's the beauty, so that they could receive the will of God, the good, pleasing, perfect will like Romans talks about. So if you're here tonight and you're saying, I want Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life, I want to be in the will of God. And I know I need Jesus to forgive me in order to do that. Why don't you lift your hand and say, that's me tonight. I know that I need to be forgiven. Thank you. Thank you. And I know I need to be in his will. Thank you. I see you. Thank you see you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Hey, do this. Would you stand to your feet? Because we're going to respond and we're going to sing here in a second. But before we do, I know that everybody could respond to this. I know it could be this big thing. Uh, I, I don't like give altar calls to get big responses. I, I give them to get honest ones. And so I know I could easily just go, go like, who here wants the will of God and wants to pray for it more? And everyone's going to raise their hand. That's, that's not the point. But if you're here tonight, okay, and as we worship here in a second, as we're going to pray together, and you're truly saying, like, 
man, I have not had a desire in me to have the will of God. There's a lot of things I want, but his will is not one of them. And if that's resonating in you, as I pray, as we worship, as we respond, and when we say a loud amen, I want you to just lean into that with me for a second. Just for a number of minutes, lean in and say, Lord, that, that is me. I'm struggling to want your will. I'm struggling to follow your will. I don't want to have to make a thousand mistakes and then have your forgiveness as I humble myself to get love your best for me. I want to right now step in the will of God, a will that is confirmed, celebrated, and connected, a will that is blessed, a will that is full of Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's you. As we pray right now, I just want you to pray loud and clear. Jesus just needs to know. That's it. Make it, make it. If you need to reach out as you're praying, whatever, just be like, God, don't miss me. That's me. I'm responding right now. I want your good, pleasing, perfect will. And for some of the people in the room, we're also going to pray that Jesus will be the Lord and Savior of their life. So bow your heads, pray with me. Loud and clear, say, Jesus. Say, Jesus. I call upon you tonight because I recognize that without you, I can do no, I can do no good thing. I need you. Say, I want your good, pleasing, and perfect will. I know that it's contrary to my flesh. I know there's going to be a fight in order for me to get it. And so I ask tonight, Jesus, that your spirit would be alive in me. Even now, as I pray, so let's say what he said, as I watch and pray, I am acknowledging that as I am prayerful, the Spirit is stirred up and the Spirit is alive. So say, I confess my sins. I believe you died for me and you rose again. But I don't just want to be forgiven. I want your perfect will. So I say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Say this, say, not my will. Not what I want, not my desires, but Jesus, yours be done. So I ask Jesus tonight that you'd stir in me a deep desire, not for my perfection, but for your perfect will. I say this in the name of Jesus. Come on, everybody says amen.